So you, uh, you serve young people, you non-Lagrave serve young people should know that when you arrive here today, this morning, we are in the middle of a sermon series here in our church that started at the beginning of the summer, and that you visitors, uh, you should know that too, the whole summer we're studying one passage of scripture, and that's Romans 12, verse 9 through 21. That's one of those passages where Paul gives a whole list of instructions for the shape of the Christian life. So we're spending the whole summer reading that, listening to it. We're going to try to memorize it as a congregation. We're seeing how that's going. And, and, and it's our way of letting the Holy Spirit shape us through those words, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Now, normally, on Serve Sunday, I break away from my sermon series, and I preach on whatever the... the the text is for serve. But I noticed that this year that, and we've heard it already, the text that they're using, it's really, really similar to one of the parts of Romans 12, verse 9 through 21, that I was already going to preach on. Here's what I was already planning to preach on. Rejoice always. Give thanks. No, I'm reading yours now. Sorry. <laughs> See how close they are? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in the hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's Romans 12. Now here's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? So they sound, they're not exactly the same, but they're really, really close. So I'm going to stick to my sermon series, and I think that will be good enough to get you guys ready for your week of service and I think it will also be good enough to get all of you ready for your week of service. Because when you belong to Jesus Christ and the Spirit is in you, every week, every week is serve week. I mentioned that we're trying to memorize this passage. So that means our scripture reading is a little different. Some of you have already found that we have an insert in your bulletins. We are going to say the scripture passage together, and those of us who have at least tried to memorize it will try to say it without looking at our little, our little slips. And let me just say, we have a, an error. That last little phrase, the Lord be with you, that's not part of Romans uh, 12, 9 through 21. Please don't say that last sentence, okay? That's a leftover from our communion insert, okay? All right, let's say together the words of Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not seek revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you are getting there. I can see it out there. Some of you are getting there. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In this morning's sermon, I want to take each of those in order, and when you read them, maybe they seem like detached instructions, like they don't have much to do with each other. But as I studied them this week, and hopefully my sermon will make that clear, I think they do very much have something to do with each other. In fact, I think they flow out of one another. So I'll talk about all three. I will not talk about them in equal proportion. I will talk for much longer about being joyful in hope, a little less long about being patient in affliction, and I'm ashamed to say almost not at all about being faithful in prayer. Um, And that's just because I only have 20 minutes. I'm sure that this week you'll hear lots about being faithful in prayer. So be joyful in hope. It all starts with hope. Everything that we do is shaped by our hopes. What do I mean by that? Well, the hope is to have a point on the horizon. When you hope, your heart, your mind imagines a point on the horizon, and that point on the horizon becomes something that you start to lean towards, and soon your emotions go towards that point, your thoughts go towards that point, and ultimately your actions go towards that point. So the hope is to have a point on the horizon and start to move and lean towards it. And almost everything we do, almost every voluntary thing we choose is shaped by some horizon point, shaped by some hope. Let me give you a couple homely examples. This morning, you got out of bed and you groomed yourself. We thank you for that. Your hair does not look like it looked when you got out of bed, right? You, You groomed yourself. Why did you do that, right? You fixed your hair hopefully cleaned your face, maybe brush your teeth, put on some deodorant. Guys, key to a successful serve week. <laughs> Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Well, I mean, your hope, the, the horizon point you're setting your eyes on, is you, you want to, you know, make good company, right? You, you understand that first impressions matter. You understand there's certain things you do to fit into society. So you want to... Yeah, make a good first impression so this will be a good week. That was the horizon point you're shooting at. Another example. If you went to breakfast this morning, there's a point where you were standing there with your tray full of food and you decided where to sit. The seat you chose was dependent on your hope, that horizon point. Maybe you sat down with a group of people you don't know and you introduced yourself and started conversation with. And that's you, your horizon point is, I came to this serve and I want to meet people and so I'm going to 
take a risk and go out there. That was your hope. That was your horizon point. Maybe you took your tray and sat down with other youth group members from your own youth group. If you did that, maybe your horizon point was, well, I'm just getting started and I want to stay a little safe and I want to get to know my own youth group members better. That was your horizon point. Or maybe you took your tray and you found a table that was completely empty because you are an introvert and you are not a morning person. And the last thing you want is some extrovert to sit down beside you and blab. Your horizon point is peace and quiet. All your decisions, all our decisions are governed by these horizon points. How hard you study for tests, what you choose to do with your friends on a Friday night, they're all horizon points. They're all driven by hope. And we human beings need these horizon points. Without these horizon points, without hope, the human soul withers. And you can see that. Sometimes you see it when a spouse, a person, say a husband, suddenly loses their spouse. And after that happens, what ha sometimes you see that grief is so overwhelming them that um, they stop taking care of themselves. They don't eat well. They stop doing some of those basic grooming things. Uh, the lawn gets shaggy. The house gets messy. They wear the same outfit three days in a row. Why does that sort of thing happen? All their hopes, all their horizon points, everything they imagined about the future was tied up with that person they loved. And now that that person is gone, none of those horizon points make sense to them. And they, they wither. The human soul needs hope. Now as we go through life, we're constantly setting these horizon points. Some of them are small, ordinary. I hope I have a good time this serve week. I hope our day away at the beach has good weather. I hope I pass my chemistry test. Those are ordinary horizon points. Some of our hopes are big and life-changing. I hope I meet someone. I hope I find work that is meaningful for me. I hope my dad's depression doesn't get any worse. I hope my mom's cancer is cured. Those hopes are enormous. Some of our hopes are achieved, some of them are not. Sometimes we reach a big hope that we've worked for a long time only to find that the destination was not what we expected. We arrive, maybe at that job that we've been trying to get to, trying to get that promotion, thinking that when we'll get there, our life will be full and we arrive and we realize, nope, I feel worse. I don't feel better. The truth is, all human hopes will ultimately fail. All the human hopes, whether the big ones or the little ones, all of them will ultimately fail. And that's because all human hopes are bounded by space, time, and mortality. And that's just a fancy way of saying we're all going to die. And when we die, our human hopes hit this brick wall and they shatter into tiny pieces. And it doesn't matter what you do. That's why there are people in this world who say, don't hope too hard. Hope is a dangerous thing. You remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? I'm sure some of you have seen it. When Andy first gets to prison, Red says to him, 
Hope is a dangerous thing. Don't hope in this place because hope will drive you insane. And the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche, who maybe some of you have heard of, said this. He said, hope is, in reality, the worst of all evils. Nietzsche called it the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torment of human beings. Meaning, go ahead and hope, but they're all going to get shattered. You're all going to hit that brick wall of death. Paul disagrees with Nietzsche, not surprisingly. Paul says, be joyful in hope. And that's because the hope that Paul is talking about when he calls you to be joyful in hope is not a human hope. Paul's hope is the hope in Jesus Christ, the only hope in this world that can go right through the brick wall of death. Here's a way to think of it. Jesus' death and resurrection punched a hole in space-time. I know that sounds like a Marvel movie, but that's, that's effectively what Jesus did when he came to this world. He punched a hole in space-time. This eternal being comes into our ordinary human time-bound life. He lives life with us. He dies. He hits the brick wall and goes right through it. And God raises him on the third day. He punches a hole in space-time. And now there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Now we have this anchor point that is in eternity, that is not bound by that brick wall. In the words of 1 Peter 4, 1 verse 4, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and fade, kept in heaven for us. That's the other thing that's different about this hope in Jesus. Not only is it eternal, it is kept for us. Human hopes don't work for you. You work for them. But when you hope in Jesus Christ, that, you don't just hold on to that hope. That hope holds on to you. If you're trying to have success in school or if you're trying to have financial success, those hopes don't try to pull you towards them. Jesus is trying to pull you towards him. Not only has he punched a hole in space-time, on the other side of eternity, he is pulling you towards him, even as you grab onto him. As you go through this life, he walks beside you and says, you could do it. He goes behind you to give you a push. He watches in front of you to show you the way. If you get lost, he will go and find you. If you fall flat in your face and can't take another step, he will pick you up and he will carry you across the finish line. There is no hope like this. The only hope that is eternal, the only hope that reaches down and takes hold of you. That means, for all of us, when we have this eternal hope in us, we can stand in the midst of terrible affliction and still be people of joy. I know the secret of being content in all things, says Paul, right? Heard that? I know the secret of being content no matter what's going on. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Where did Paul say that? Book of Philippians, Philippians 4. Philippians is, if you don't know that, one of the most joyful. It is the most joyful of all Paul's letters. He's the most positive in that letter of any other place. That's the book where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And he says, whatever is good, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think on those things. You've heard those verses. They're all in Philippians. 
Where is Paul when he's writing Philippians? He, he's not um, at an all-inclusive resort. He's in jail. He's in a place specifically designed by the Roman Empire to crush your hope. But even in that place, all the might of the empire, all the darkness of his cell, all his confinement cannot crush his hope because he knows that in Jesus he has a hope that that jail cell cannot hold. doesn't matter what the empire does, he will be free. Either he'll be acquitted and walk out, or God will shake the cell and open the doors, which he does sometimes, or he will be found guilty and have his head cut off, in which case he will stand before the face of Jesus. It doesn't matter what the empire does, he will be free. And because Paul had this joyful hope, he was patient in his affliction. You see how the two things are tied together. Patience in affliction depends on joyful hope. Hope always, patience always depends on hope in all circumstances. Let me give you an example of the dependency. Imagine a 10-year-old girl who's working on her math trying to do her homework, struggling mightily, not getting it. And finally, sitting at the kitchen table, she slams her book down and says, I'm never going to get this. I'm no good at math. I will never be good at math. And you can see what's happening when she says that. She's lost her horizon point. I'll never be good at math. She can no longer see a future in where she's good at math. And her mom comes, sits down beside her, says, no, honey, you can do this. You're smart. You can get this. And they work, and they work, and then she does get it and her hope is restored. Her mom is patient because her mom can see that horizon point when she can't. Patience needs hope. The greater the hope, the greater the patience. And when you have eternal hope, when your hope is that great, you can go down into a place of great affliction and complete chaos and be a sign of light and hope for people who are desperate. That's a little bit what you will be doing this week. You will be going into places where you'll see affliction, where you'll see and meet people whose hope is either gone or it's pretty small. And your call this week is to see a horizon point for them and for their situation that they themselves cannot see to be a sign of the eternal hope of Jesus in that place. And when we are patient and joyful like that in those places of affliction, that's when we lift the name of Jesus high, right? That's when people really see Jesus, when we're joyful in those kinds of places. I think of Mother Teresa, great example of this, right? And I think you all know her story, but in case you don't, when she came to Calcutta, she found the street full of these beggars, Right? These, the lowercase people who would literally die in the streets. Right? These beggars would just waste away. They'd be covered with swords. No one would pay any attention to them. They'd die in the gutter, and they'd be carried off like roadkill. And Mother Teresa came to that place, and she said, that's not how it's going to be. And she picked up those beggars, took them to her hospital, took them to her place, and she washed their sores, and she took care of them, and prayed over them, and gave them dignity until they died. She helped these people die with dignity. It was a beautiful thing. Now, some people criticized Mother Teresa for that mission. They said it was pointless. 
And they said that because they said, well, these people are going to die anyway. Mother Teresa, you should spend all this money, you should spend all your money and all your energy getting rid of the cause of this poverty so that they don't get in the gutter in the first place instead of taking care of these people and just helping them die. You should get rid of the underlying causes of poverty. Now, I'm all for getting rid of the underlying causes of poverty. But I think it's precisely the fact that Mother Teresa's work seemed pointless from a certain point of view that made it so powerful. If all you have is a human point of view and all these people are, are food for worms and they're going to die anyway and that that's as far as you can see, then yeah, Mother Teresa's work is pointless. But if you can look at these beggars and see the face of Jesus and see them as creatures made in the image of God, people for whom Jesus died, then all of a sudden your care for them and your prayer for them points to a hope that is bigger than anything in this world. There's a saying that I love that I had printed on my, my bulletin board along with a lot of other sayings right over my desk, and it says this, try to do something every day that would make no sense unless God was real. Try to do something every single day of your life that would make absolutely no sense unless God was real and Christ was alive. And you may think, wow, that sounds great, but yeah, what, 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 would, what kind of thing would that be? Romans 12 has some excellent suggestions. Praying for those who persecute you, giving food for your enemies, honoring other people above yourselves. None of those things make any sense unless God is real. Or here's another example. There are people sitting right in front of me who are doing things that would make no sense unless God was real. And those are your chaperones, the adults who are on this trip. <laughs> I, don't even have to, I don't even have to finish that, that thought. You already know, right? It makes no sense. These people, many of them are taking a week off of work. They could be sleeping in. They could be on vacation. And instead, they're with you. And they're getting up before you get up in the morning. And they're putting up with you all week. And they're smelling you all week. And all of those things. <laughs> Makes no sense. Unless God is real. And Christ is risen. And God is real. And Christ is risen. I have one more section to talk about. And that's be faithful in prayer. And it's so important, just because I'm only talking about it this much doesn't mean it's not important. Prayer, as I think you can probably see, is God's great gift to us by which we keep our eyes on that horizon point, that eternal horizon point, right? When we pray, we look up from the affliction places and we see the eternal horizon point. We keep ourselves anchored in Christ. And when we pray, it's not just us reaching out, right? When we pray, he reaches down and grabs hold of us too. It's that connection point. So important. So as you young people go out to your week of serve, and as you less young people go out to your week of serve, may you be joyful in hope, patient in your affliction, and faithful in your prayer. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that um, your hope takes hold of us. Lord, that you hope for us. That's so important because you know that 
In the midst of the affliction, when the waves are high, we sometimes, um, we feel overwhelmed. But you are never overwhelmed, Lord. You are Lord over the flood. You have all things under your feet. And we are in your hands. Lord, make us faithful and hopeful and joyful as we go out this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.